Soccer's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Yo, what is happening? Welcome back to another episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. I'm your host, Brad Wilson, and today I'm going to be speaking with one of the legends of the game. Anybody with even a passing interest in poker during the last 20 years will certainly recognize the name of the poker brat himself, Mr. Phil Helmuth. Phil's list of accomplishments and accolades in poker is so long that it's difficult to put it together without missing something. To name just a few of the things that have made him one of the best poker players to ever sit down on the green felt, he's a member of the WSOP Hall of Fame. In 1989, when he won the WSOP main event, he was the youngest player to ever do so. He has won 15 championship gold bracelets, all told He has $14 million plus in winnings at the WSOP alone. Aside from appearing on TV during broadcasts of some of the tournaments he's played in, he's also appeared in many other televised games, such as Poker After Dark, High Stakes Poker, and Late Night Poker. Phil has also written several books, including his autobiography, Poker Brat, several poker strategy books, and Positivity, Eight Tips for Success. During my conversation with Phil, you'll hear some of his best stories about a life playing cards and the places the game has taken him. He talks about the days when the only people who knew who other professional poker players were were other professional poker players. He talks about what it was like to go from obscurity to a poker celebrity recognized all over the world, and of course, what it's like to carry the reputation of being the poker brat. There are very few players that have played as long as Phil and have remained active and successful in this game, and he shows no signs of stopping anytime soon. So with all of that said, and without any further ado, I thank you once again for listening, and now this is Phil Helmuth on Chasing Poker Greatness. Phil, we're live. How are we doing, my man? What in the world can I complain about? <laughs> I don't know. What can you complain about? Well, sometimes <laughs> at the table, a little poker brat comes out, but uh, I really can't complain about anything. Life's amazing. Seven minutes to get in the lighting right. I think maybe, maybe just not having perfect lighting all the time shining down on your face. <laughs> well, um, if you wanted the lighting perfect. I didn't care that much, but you might as well, you might as well look good, you know? Oh, uh, the record, let the record state. I wasn't recording it, so I guess it didn't happen. It's my word versus your word. I wanted to start out on a, on a little light note. I, actually, I was reading an interview. I believe it was the one that you did at Card Player Lifestyle with Robbie Straczynski. Or no, no, it was in a, twi- a tweet, maybe today. You got booed by 250,000 NASCAR fans. How did that happen? What's the story of that? I mean, you know, it's pretty standard for me. I mean, like, you know, I mean, I play a bad boy, right? So... I was asked to go to a NASCAR race, I want to say in 07, and uh, could have been 05, I don't remember, but, but anyway, I went with Robbie Gordon, 
and you know it was fun i mean the the nascar guys have their own trailers and so i was in the trailer i knew that jeff gordon was a poker guy i there's a bunch of other guys in nascar that are poker guys that love the game i thought it'd be fun and so i showed up and robbie was really nice we uh we hung out a fair amount over the weekend we uh went to the driver's meeting that's a big thing saw troy aikman there troy's one of my guys uh really good friends with with a friend of mine in Dallas, just everything's fun. And then they introduced the drivers and it yeah. was Robin Leach, you know, the guy from, uh, lifestyles of the rich and famous. Yeah. Yeah. Give me, give me, give me a Robin Leach impression. You have one. Oh man. No, no, I don't have it. That's like, I remember it, but it was a little bit before my time. And now we're at Phil Helmuth's house, fabulous house in the, in Palo Alto. You know, I don't know. I have no idea how to do the Robin Leach. But anyway, um, they'd introduce you. You'd walk across the stage, and you'd get in a pickup truck. And the pickup truck, you'd, I'd go with Robbie Gordon, and the pickup truck would go around the track pretty fast. Uh-huh. You're sitting in the back, probably not the safest safest thing, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, because – but whatever. I mean, they're not going to – they're not. I'm sure they don't want to kill any celebrities. And so they're like, uh, hey, whatever. This time I was like, whatever, 10 times. The nine-time world champion of poker, Phil Helmuth. And just the place is raining down with booze. <laughs> and this is right before the race starts. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have a quarter million people booing me. And I turned a little bit like, I'd say, white or something. I was just like, oh my God. this is so brutal. And Robbie Gordon's like, it's okay, Phil. It's okay. He could see I'm a little upset. It's okay. It's okay. And then uh, within a couple minutes, they introduced Jeff Gordon to the same level of booing. And I was like, <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. I mean, it's one thing if you're the only guy that gets booed. It's another if they're booing a, a legend like Jeff Gordon. So, yeah, yeah. So I, that was the time I was booed. And then, you know, and then when we do the World Series of Poker, I remember, you know, when we did in the Penn and Teller Theater, and I show up there and they're they're kind of like, it's all Hall of Famers on the stage. And and I'm looking around and I'm like, I don't know, 45 and I feel like I'm 30. And I'm looking at everybody else who looks like they're 80. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, wow, I'm really in the Poker Hall of Fame. This is cool. I guess I'm the youngest one, which I was. And um, they introduced my Doyle Brunson. Everybody's cheering and going crazy. Phil Helmuth booed the hell out of me. But then I couldn't leave without doing pictures and autographs for an hour trying to get out of that theater. And I thought you people are freaking booing me and you all want my autograph and picture. This is bullshit. But I mean, it's part of, you know, it's part of, you know, being a a bad boy. I think the persona of Phil Mm -hmm. Helmuth, does it ever get to you? Does, does the booing ever affect you negatively? Well, it it really bothered me. It really bothered me at the NASCAR race because that's a quarter million people just booing you. Um, that's a lot of people <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no reason to be booed what? yeah why why are they why are they booing you you don't want to be booed live on espn by like everybody in the theater i mean i was just thinking come on man things change though i mean you can be you know i think i think the last two years i've i've never had so many random people come up to me and tell me that they love me to me that's weird you know random i've never met phil we love you phil i love you <laughs> I was just like, wow, what is going on here? I always thought becoming the bad boy would eventually flip, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, at one point, everybody, uh, they hated Muhammad Ali. 
and he became the biggest athlete in the world. I'm not comparing myself to Muhammad Ali, but on a much smaller scale, I always felt like, you know, people would see that I'm a good guy. I'm, I'm a guy that's you know, never cheated on his wife in 30 years. I'm a guy that, you know, I'm not a drug guy. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm pretty reasonable in a lot of ways. And so I figured that would come out and I'd have a lot of fans eventually. I just well, didn't think that I'd get booed for 10 years. I can say anybody that has had any experience with you, and I've been in poker for 15 years, they've all been positive experiences. Like they, they, Everybody's had nothing but good things to say. A lot of times it's away from the table, hanging out, go, going out to eat and drinking and all, all that, you know, all that stuff. Everybody's been very gracious and kind and super nice. I mean, just nothing but positive things. It's kind of crazy. The poker world knows me. You know, the poker world knows me well because these are the guys that I hang out with. And you're right. It's been nothing but positivity from the poker world, which is great. But unfortunately, <laughs> there's still 100 million out there in the public that aren't quite sure. I think by now, most have figured out, you know, after my book, Positivity, after all the stuff I do, you know, um, I think most people, that's it, just authenticity. So I think my authenticity has shined through and I'm, I'm well, People either are starting to realize it. Yeah, either way, it's emotion, right? Whether it's negative or positive. And I would say that if you're creating this emotion in people outside of poker, you're doing the game of poker a service by getting more people involved and more eyeballs on the game. Um, and that's something that I, I did want to talk to you about is sustainability in poker and growing the game. Could you tell me your thoughts on players coming up today, the young guns? What can the community as a whole do to ensure poker is sustainable and continues to grow well into the future? First of all, most of the young guns I really like. They're very cool guys. I mean, there's very few that I, there's very, no one do I dislike or hate, but there's quite a few that I really like. Um, and, you know, and, and we'll, we'll go to dinner with, or we'll have a few drinks with, or we'll hang out with. And I, li I like a lot of the, the Germans pretty, seem to be pretty cool guys. And so really there's a lot of me liking uh, the young guns. I think that for some reason, they don't quite have the personality of a Negranu or me um, or some of the other old school guys. And, I, 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 you know, you try to figure out, all right, why do we have more personality, you know, uh, than a yeah. lot of the, the crop of great young players? And it's I don't even know the answer, except that, you know, we had to somehow survive, you know, when conditions were not ideal in the poker world. It's really weird because there's more people now than back then by a huge factor. So like, it just seems like from a pure numbers game perspective, like some, some amazing personalities emerge and, you know, take poker into the next generation. You're right. You're right. You're, that's a good point too. I mean, I, I look at Mike, the mouth Madiso. I look at me, I look at Negranu. I look at all these guys and you're right. We have millions really I think of a hundred million people started playing poker on the internet and of all those people that started showing up and playing in real world tournaments, it's surprising that there's not, you know, uh, someone obvious to hand off the personality titles to, you, you know what I mean? Not that I'm ready to hand off titles. I continue, I'm going to continue, I think to win for a long time. I just had a second and a third in Europe it would have been really sweet to pick up bracelet number 16 there. I just saw this really cool um, video that showed the uh, the bracelet video. Did you see that one? I didn't. So they show 
World Series of Poker Bracelets starting in 1975 on YouTube. And uh, it's a it's a thing where, you know, where where they have one, two, three, four, five, and then each person represents a line. And I'm watching and I'm watching in 92, all of a sudden, boom, I, I won three and 92 and one and 93 and one and 94. All of a sudden, boom, I'm to fifth place. But to kind of watch, you know, and then and then I and then there's a place where we're all four of us are tied at nine and everybody was talking about the bracelet race in 03. And then Shannon Brunson go to 10 before me and then I catch him and I go to 11, 12, 13. But it's a very cool video on YouTube kind of culminates a half of a lifetime of work for me. And uh, where were where, where we going or am I just bragging? I think you. I think you got into brag mode. <laughs> we were talking about making poker sustainable. Um, and and my first, my, my wife tells me that right now my <laughs> ego's a little high, so <laughs> needs to needs to come down come down a notch. No, I think I think that players that have been playing for a very long time understand the entertainment aspect of the game and understand the value of making the game fun for the players they play against. And I come from a cash game background. And, you know, I've, I've played a ton of hours at the Commerce Casino playing high stakes poker. And one thing that all the cash game guys know is we're half entertainers in that make the game enjoyable so that people come back. And like if people love playing with you, that's great because then they tell people, right, like they tell people to play poker. It's, it's super fun, all, all this stuff. And I, I think that the generation before me just really got that in, in a way that maybe maybe the generation now doesn't. I, I'm not sure. I'm not even sure it was intentional that we knew we were entertainers. I mean, I think we just, you know, at that point, we're just trying to make a living and would show up and play. Yeah. It wasn't until it wasn't until kind of like poker just took off that we realized, wow, you know, we're having this huge influence on the game. I mean, to me, it feels good um, to be, you know, one of the guys that, you know, that, that people want to watch on television. And even now today when I film stuff, it's pretty cool. You know, I had, uh, I had, Draymond Green uh, on the other day. After we're done with this interview, I'm going to go play a high stakes game at my friend's house. Don't want to get any names, but you know we're going to have a new uh, Golden State Warrior playing tonight, not Draymond, because the Warriors play tonight. More of an ex guy, and so it's going to be fun. And you know, and um, and that to me, I, I don't know. I, I like. I I think it's all about who you play with. And I don't have the most fun I have is playing with my regular group. And, uh, you know, we were playing this small, you know, <laughs> it was sure. like no reasonable pro would have shown up to play five ten, And, uh, you know, because it's just hard when you're used to playing uh, 1500 or, and I, you know, I, I became great friends with this group, but I will say to your point, poker is a lot about, you know, you want to be playing with people that are fun to play with, that are interesting, that'll talk to you, that'll ask you about your day. I mean, you want to feel some camaraderie. What about the the rules in the poker tournaments? You know, um, the min- minimizing the talking. I always thought it was like the coolest thing when I was reading books, um, dreaming about being a professional poker player, uh, showing somebody your cards, getting a reaction. That that the gamesmanship like that. I, like in my opinion, I think all of that needs to be back in poker. What are your thoughts about the the social aspect of it like that? I mean, that's huge. As you know, in a cash game, as a cash game player, there's times where, you know, you flop a set, comes deuce three, four, and you have a set of deuces. 
and you're trying to figure out now a seven comes off and I don't know, maybe the flush hits and the guy's made a big bet and you're trying to figure out, you know, is he betting aces and, you know, is he betting whatever, a two pair or is he bet, you know, and you're really trying to make a determination. In the old days, I could just flip the set up. Yeah. And they'd look at it and I'd be like, oh my God, they don't want me to call, call. And so that Jedi mind trick of having, of being able to expose your cards and then making a great call. To me, that's all, all about poker. That's what poker is. And, you know, is reading your opponents. And when they eliminated that, the ability to show cards on the river, you know, against a single opponent, I felt like it was an attack against me and my skills. I really felt personally attacked. I'm like, why did they change that? Are they trying to make reading abilities a less part of the game? And I, and I, and I complained about it and I went public and said, this is bad for poker. I think so. But they got rid of this stuff, man. I mean, we're talking about back in 2000 or something or 99, the ability to show hands. And, and so now, I mean, you know, I mean, you can still say, you can still say things like, you know, if you have jacks, you can still say, wow, I'm really crushing tens. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. And you can get the read that way, but it's not quite as, so I, I, yeah, I'm on your side on that one. I mean, I think that it just adds more skill to be able to show your cards in a meaningless spot on the river. I mean, why wouldn't you be able to show your whole cards? I, I felt like it was almost a personal attack on me and, um, and I brought it up with all the rules makers and uh, they never even really considered changing that rule. Yeah. It's, it's the, the thing is like, it works both ways. All this information, all the talking. I've seen Daniel talk on, I believe it was High Stakes Poker. He's talking, 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 trying to get information. Um, I believe it was against Antonio Esfandiari. And he said something and then boom, Esfandiari called. Like, because Daniel gave something away, right? Like when, when you turn your cards over, you can close your eyes. Like your opponent can close their eyes. Like they can work on controlling their emotions, giving reverse tells. Like this is part of the game and it just – like it. Now it's like I hear the word angle shooting a lot and it just drives me nuts where it's like, yeah, like I'm going to say, okay, I have a good hand on the river and try to get get information. I mean, it's a social game. Like No one's ever accused me of angle shooting by saying, oh, I have uh, queens crushed. I've never heard that before. Yeah, it just seems people say angle shooting a lot. Like it feels a little overused. But Yeah, yeah I think it's – you're right. I think that term is overused. The real angle shooters – are people that I've had trouble with my whole life because you come in with all the integrity, all the honesty, and you live your life at such a high level, you know, and then there's others, people that just like, they're just trying to, they're doing angle shoots. What are they winning with their angle shoot? An extra $50, an extra hundred dollars. Don't they understand that we look at them differently the rest of their lives for that? And so, you know, that's, that's, I've been probably a little, little bit too cruel to guys that are angle shooters throughout my career, you know, and probably just need to step back. And there's one or two guys that, that are angle shooters that I've just kind of tried to completely forgive in my mind. Cause I'm just like, my inclination towards them is like, Ugh. yeah, no, I mean, I don't want to even see that person, but. Oh, I've, I mean, I, I've seen my fair share of angles too. Right. And it's like, the thing is like when you're, when you're a pro, shooting angles is diametrically opposed to your intention of playing with integrity, building the game, helping people have a good time. So like, uh, I I don't see pros like pros, pros really even attempting anything like that. But, um, I I do want to talk about, so white magic. 
Um, let's talk about – I want to do my best to deconstruct white magic because I think live reads are something that a lot of people minimize. And I think they are just <laughs> insanely valuable. When, when did you decide to start focusing on improving your live read skills? Well, to me, poker was all about – you have to understand the trajectory of poker. Okay. And we're talking about who, who kept getting there in No Limit Hold'em tournaments, all the guys with the reads. They were the guys that were getting there. So by the time 2001 rolled around, before, right before the boom, you know, the guys I was the most worried about are guys that were really great at reading people. Negreanu, you know, and I think High Miller was pretty good at reading people. Dan High Miller, and there were there was kind of a, a little bit of a list, and you're like, wow, these guys are you can't bluff them. I mean, they're just tough. And so, and then all of a sudden, the world fell upside down. All of a sudden, we had a million people come in from the internet, and you know, and and everybody talking about strategy, and everybody talking about, oh well, this is the way to play a hand. No, that's the way to play a hand. No, this is the way. And all of these guys with strong math backgrounds came into the world. For me, it was like a gift. I was like, woohoo! <laughs> I mean, all these guys were just easy to read that made all this money on the internet because they didn't have to disguise themselves. All of a sudden, and then all of the guys who had strong reads, not Negreanu, but all the other guys that had strong reads, I had to worry about less and less because now we had a thousand players in every tournament. And the five guys who were good at reading, not only did I not have to face them, but then they started to wonder if they were champions anymore. So they started questioning their abilities. Negranu has questioned his abilities for a long time. He's my boy. I really like him. I've never said anything negative about him in public ever. He'll attack me sometimes. But, I mean, he'll start doubting his own amazing reading abilities, and it's cost him, in my opinion, a couple of bracelets. You know, um, all of a sudden in 09, I just remember him telling me that these guys are the best. They're right. And I'm not paying attention and they're going to all, they're all, and I'm not going to win again because they're all better than me. And I crushed everybody. 2000, <laughs> uh, what was it? 2012, 2013. I finished second player of the year, back to back years and uh, was just getting there all the time. And, and uh, people don't quite understand how I'm getting there. They look and they say, Phil's poker is not mathematically sound. And here's the beautiful thing. You have this, generation and i call it like a like a fist right and they're just traveling through and they're like this is the way to play no this is the way to play no this is and they pick off all the stragglers so if somebody goes bust uh, it's like they shoot them and they're like what are you doing you need to be with us and so everybody's playing it like this and like this and like this so i just have to look and say all right what are the fundamental flaws in the way they're playing what are the fundamental flaws in gto well i can think of two all right. And so how do I take advantage of those two flaws? All right. And it's a matter of then, you know, using my reading abilities to take advantage of of situations which seem, you know, relatively simple to me. You know, I mean, uh, someone, of course, are going to do exactly this because they were trained to do exactly this. All right. So that means, all right, if I know that I'm going to move in with, you know, uh, a seven on the button and I have 14 big blinds in front of me. And I guess the mass says that's a, a move every time. Then I'll just open for 2x. And if someone re-raises me, then I can use my reads to determine whether or not I'm going to call. And, uh, you know, and I, everybody thought I was so wrong. And then Sean Deeb started doing exactly what I was doing in 2014. And he's like, Phil, I, start, I 
switched over to your way, but still no one else has switched. And then Sean Deeb started winning all these tournaments. <laughs> and so it's amazing to me that, you know, that, you know, because I think hanging on to 12 big blinds is a huge stack. You know, I play whole tournaments with 12 big blinds. And if I can then get it in a little while later in a spot where I have to go, say with pocket tens, or even, even I might have ace deuce, but the button raises and I move in because I don't think they're going to call, you know? And so, I mean, to me, you know, uh, the fundamentals that are taught to everyone else aren't right. And, and thank God, because I wouldn't just continue to win beyond that. Even if they finally do get all the fundamentals correct, then, you know, I hope that, you know, they still have to look at me. You can't, you can't wear a, a hot dog mask. Or <laughs> you can't do that. I mean, it's not, you know, we're outlawing that. So it, it's interesting to me talking about the stragglers joining the fist. That's a very visual way to put it. And it makes sense because they're desperate because they're not winning. So they want to latch on to some sort of path or some sort of hope that they think will lead them to success. Right. Right. And they tell their friends, I busted on this hand. I played it that way. And everybody's like, what are you doing? They just shoot them. That's ridiculous. You can't play poker like that. Learn the right way to play. And so they've taken the straggler and pushed him into the fist. <laughs> so just more, more, more people that's easier for me to pick off. Now I can pick off the whole poker world instead of, you know, uh, whatever current theory, you know. And so, so I like this. This is good for me. And, you know, you could, you could come back and say, well, Phil, you're delusional. Everybody else is right. I mean, and that's, that's one theory. It could be my delusion, except that I just keep getting there. And so then I don't think people know what to do with me. Yeah, it, you keep having success, and yet you're delusional. So maybe you're just the luckiest human that's ever sat down at a poker table, or <laughs> maybe you just know something that other people don't. Um, well, they see all these pots I lose where I'm a big favorite, and so they, they can't attribute it to me being the luckiest. So they have to attribute it to something. They don't, they don't honestly understand what I'm doing. I mean, Antonio Esfandiari, who's one of my boys who I really like a lot, you know, he, he was doing the commentary for the 2012 WSOPE, and he was just like, I don't understand what's happening. I don't like the number of times he said, I don't understand what Helmuth is doing was like funny. And I mean, you know, he's, I think, a great player. I think it's interesting that in, in almost all professions, like you can reverse engineer, right? You can, you can look at what you're doing and kind of reverse engineer the strategy and implement it into your game. And I want to go back to, the white magic. What, what does your process look like for cultivating this this uh, ability to read people, like on a daily basis, it, and especially like in the beginning, I guess when you were had the you know you're going to realize the most gains early on, right? What did that look like? Well, I mean, you know, in the '80s when I was coming up in poker, we played. I basically just played pot limit hold'em, mostly. Um, you know, and for years, that's all I would play when I lived in Madison, Wisconsin. And so in playing a lot of pot limit hold'em, you learned to read people, just a natural instinct. Now I tried to teach a lot of people, 50 people, how to read people and they couldn't do it. So makes me wonder, you know, uh, there was a very famous a book written called EQ. I think it was by Daniel Goleman. And he talks about learnable star qualities. I don't think reading people is learnable star quality. I think you can only go so far. So I think there's a ceiling for most people on the planet on where their reads can be. And so that protects me because, because I happen to be one of those guys who's great at it. And I don't think you can teach it. So I feel like, you know, well protected for the next few years as far as playing No Limit Hold'em goes. 
The process, though, for me, good question, was to, to, to say, all right, what does he have? All right, he's raised, he's re-raised. And I'm like, all right, I'm pretty sure it's queens, jacks, or tens. All right, now, it doesn't look like queens because he did that. It could be jacks or tens. So narrow it down to two hands, and I just take a flat guess, right? It seems more like tens. Well, the number of times I hit the, 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 the actual hand on the head scared people in the games I was playing, and they'd be like, holy shit, I have tens. How did you know? And so, and they'd flip up the tens and show me, or I'd say it has to be ace king because you over bet or whatever. And they'd flip it up and they'd say, holy shit, how do you know? And so people were a little flipping out at how I could, you know, basically you're talking about, you know, uh, uh, reasoning deduction, right? I mean, you have to, you have to use a, a manner of deduction and people do look a certain way. I mean, the, the easiest hand, according to Doyle's book, you know, to read, and I didn't read his book, but I, I heard this about his book was that was two aces. I mean, when your opponent has the best possible hand and you're a top professional player, you should always know that. And so there's just a different vibe that they give off. And so start there. So it happened to me the other day. You know, I mean, I, I was at the series where I don't play a lot of cash games. I was down to $2,000 in town. It was during the series. I was about to press a button to have a couple hundred thousand wired in. And, uh, um, Alan Keating me invited to a game at the Aria, and I'm like, okay. And I'm like, all right, just loan me 100 or whatever. So whatever I need, and I sit down in the game, and, uh, and I find myself with 158,000 in front of me. And the guy under the gun, the blinds were 2-4, opened for 3K. He got called by the next two guys, which is unusual, as you know. First of all, it's a huge – and I made it 17,000. It got back to him, and he made it 44,000. And I just thought, I'm going to put it all in, and he's going to do the quick look back to see its aces and snap the money in there. You're walking right into the freaking, you know, temple of doom, you know. And so I decided to fold the hand after like a minute, and I just couldn't get around. He had aces. He has aces. He has aces. He has aces. The guy had been playing very fast, though. You had kings? He had moved in with threes once for 40,000. I had kings, yeah. And so finally I showed Alan and I showed the other guy and they thought I was fucking around, you know. I showed them and they're like, they're like, what's taking so long? And I, <laughs> yeah. mucked it. I mucked the kings and the guy went crazy. And Alan tried to look at his whole cards. He wouldn't show it. And every other time I folded kings in my life, they showed me aces. But he swore to God he had aces and he kept, and when I quit, he kept, he stopped me and he's like, how did you know I had aces and wanted all these detailed explanations? You know? So, I mean, if he didn't have aces, he went a long, long, long ways to convince me for no reason because I've only played with the guy once. Yeah. But what pissed me off about the story is I, I haven't had 158,000 of my own money in front of me in a long time in a cash game, <laughs> you know? Um, and you just uh, snap, get Kings versus aces. And then they give me kings versus aces. Come on, man. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'd already lost like 160K. I had kings against tens. I almost lost both boards on that one. So I was just like, what is going on here? But, but I was proud of myself. And I left. I booked the 17K win. Um, I don't think the 17K lasted me uh, more than a week. And I had to wire in a couple hundred thousand. But, but you know, I could easily, you know, have, have won a couple hundred thousand in that game. You know, Alan put me in an amazing game. Uh, but, you know, and so that's just something. I haven't folded Kings uh, in a couple of years before the flop. And that's one where it was just completely instincts. 
yeah. I, I folded kings maybe three or four times pre. I've always been shown aces. And I can say that if he didn't have aces, you're you're probably going to get shown just because because you're you and going to try to put you on tilt by showing you whatever, whatever. But uh, I would say that that's a spot that's probably aces, a giant open, giant squeeze, and then like a min four bet. People are like, well, why didn't you call 27,000 more and take a flop? Well, you don't have odds um, for one. That's pretty expensive. Um, he did have me covered. So, I mean, if I do hit a king, then maybe I do get it all. And sometimes it comes an ace and a king, but yeah, you know, it's like, but a lot of times it just comes deuce, deuce, four. And now what? Now you have to, <laughs> now, now you're, now you're king. Yeah. Now, now you're setting yourself up to go broke because you now have an overpair and you're like, what am I doing? I called, I called and it's deuce, deuce, four. Like, yeah, it's a snowball effect. And maybe if you have a million, if you want, if you're at home watching this interview and you want to increase your reading abilities, then, you know, I mean, just try to guess other people's hands, but make sure there are people you can ask later. I mean, you might have a deal in place with some people and say, hey, listen, I'll show you guys five or six of my hands if you show me five or six of yours, that kind of thing, where everybody's like, okay, cool. And just say, hey, we're all practicing our reading abilities. And then, you know, try to guess. I think you had exactly Jack. So when they show it, you're going to be like, whoa. You're going to be like, and so I think that's a good game to play that I talk about in my books is trying to guess someone's whole cards. It's very interesting. Malcolm Gladwell puts it very well in Blink. If anybody out there hasn't read Blink, um, the power of the subconscious mind and what you're focusing on. But if you spend the energy and here's the thing, if you're playing live poker, you got a lot of downtime, right? Get your head out of your phone, pay attention to the opponents that you're playing against. There are multiple you have multiple opportunities to pick up these reads and practice your reading ability just while you're sitting there. And, and just, you know, if you s- try to not be distracted by all the other things. And to me, you know, we talk about GTO, we talk about all these strategies, and like each gain is, can be incremental, very small. If nobody else is focusing on improving their reading ability, how much better does that make you when? you become world-class at it, right? Like why increase 2% when you could increase 80% and have a giant edge over people? So obviously I'm, I'm pandering to you right here. I think you've, you've seen these. Uh, <laughs> you are what you think. You become what you think. What you think becomes reality. Yeah, that was, that was amazing for me to grow up and have that on my bathroom mirror and read that every day from my mother. And as I, as I said, you know, the gritty, the gritty part of that is, you know, there were seven of us that lived on one floor of a house. Nice house, by the way. Seven of us, you know, uh, my three brothers and sister, younger bro- my three younger sisters, my younger brother and my parents that took showers. And so that that little sign would get like, you know, would start to get mildewy almost. And then and then all of a sudden one day you'd look up and there was the same thing, but in a, in a brand new sign. And I mean, that really that really taught me that that that, that I could, you know, kind of. um write my own script for life why did she why was she so uh i mean this is like a language thing right and a belief system why what possessed her to put that up there probably she wanted us to know that we could do whatever we want to do in life and you know people don't get that message no one gets that message and you know um at school i didn't get that. listen i had add right me Big too ADD. so yeah the best grades you got it too Oh yeah. 
the best grades I ever managed to achieve. I mean, basically my average was like a 2.8, 2.9. 3.0. Yep. Okay. You're, you're a little better than me. And then, you know, I, I remember I wanted to show the university of Wisconsin that I was smart. So I actually worked really hard and got like a 3.68 or whatever. it was. You know, my last kind of year of school, I wanted to show them that I deserve to be in the business school that I could apply myself, but they said no. And, uh, you know, I was studying business and philosophy, which is basically poker. So I went that direction. I gave being a professional poker player. I liked, I loved poker. I loved choosing my own hours and uh, kind of went that direction. What is up, my loyal Chasing Poker Greatness listener? Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to take a moment to ask you a simple question. How many times have you heard my guests and I speak passionately about the benefits of poker coaching? You get to expand your poker network, receive expert feedback you can rely on, and have your burning questions answered by a trusted mentor. Which brings me to the Poker Power Hour, a series of 100% free live one-hour poker webinars, masterclasses, and hand history breakdowns that kick off each and every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Poker Power Hour will be led by me, Coach Brad, as well as some of your favorite Chasing Poker Greatness guests. It will be your weekly guide for helping you plug your leaks, skyrocket your poker growth, expand your network of crushers, and inevitably win more money on the green felt. The Poker Power Hour is premium content and live only. There will be no free replays or view on demand and the content will eventually be released as paid training only. So head to EnhanceYourEdge.com, opt in to the Poker Power Hour, and get for free today what you'll have to pay for later. Once again, to catch the Poker Power Hour every single week, head to EnhanceYourEdge.com and join the email newsletter. Now, back to the show. What is the importance of language and self-talk? Like, how, how can it help propel people to greater things in your view? Huge. You know, listen, I was on a, I was on a trip with uh, Peter Goober. Rob Lowe was with us. We went to Machu Picchu. We went to um, Galapagos Island. Well, Tony Robbins was supposed to be with us, but he had to bail at the last minute. So we were on the Tony Robbins plane. But we were talking about Tony and the way and his use of language, the way he believes that if we just use a few different words, a few different iterations, that it can have a powerful effect on our lives. And so that's what Peter Goober was telling me. Tony's been great to me. Tony, Tony, who doesn't know me well, but because of Peter, uh, you know, a famous L.A. billionaire, amazing guy that Peter's kind of vouched for me. And so Tony's been in the back of my books and, and he tells people to buy my book, Positivity, in his classes. That's the biggest honor I could have. Wow. And so I'm all about language too, writing things down. So, but in a different way, I think of the truth as being this blob, right? Right here. And, uh, you know, it's, I think of it almost being like, a, I'd call it a blob, not clay, but maybe. And so I think you can approach truth from this angle and this angle and this angle and this angle. And so when I talk to really, really smart people that understand truth, and I'm lucky to to be able to talk to these amazing folks, you know, people that rule the world, so to speak, 
they all have an understanding of truth, but from a different angle. And so I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. We have, we agree on almost all of our thoughts. You know, so I mean, part of, part of using language is to, you know, one of my eight life tips from positivity is to simply write down your yearly goals, 2019 goals and tape them on your bathroom mirror. So you have whatever, eight, nine, 10 goals taped on your bathroom mirror. You see that every morning when you wake up. That's using language. And you're not going to be able to write those goals in one day. I mean, if the people that are watching this, write them down the best you can, but you're going to change a few words the next day and the next day. After two or three days, you have the list just the way you want it. You tape it on your bathroom mirror. You know, and so that is a life tip that I came up with myself, you know, and my 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 yearly goals are absurd. You know, always win three bracelets, <laughs> win two WPT titles, you know, uh, near the top of my list um, because, you know, I want to be the greatest poker player of all time. And by the way, that's a goal that I wrote down in 1993. I wanted to be great at poker, but then in 93, after winning three bracelets, I said, all right, I'm going to be the greatest poker player of all time. How do we measure that? You measure it by starting like everybody else in a tournament. You can't measure it. Some people are really good, as you know, as a professional poker player. Some people are really good at schmoozing. They get into better games. Some people are really good at borrowing money. Some people, so they, because of other skills that are not related to just poker, they're able to have an edge. Some people are like, they have a rich friend who's like helping them, staking them, or they have a rich friend who says, hey, I can help you go collect some money for me or this or that. I've seen it all on poker. The only way we can really know who's great is sitting everybody down at the, at, in the same tournament and seeing who wins all the bracelets, who wins all the titles. We all know there's some great cash game players whose names aren't out there, but some of those cash game players, it might surprise you and the, your audience to know that they were broke a year ago or two years ago, or five years ago. And, you know, and how did they get back on their feet? They were good at borrowing money. Yeah, it's not, it does not surprise me. <laughs> that, that, that would not surprise me at all. I mean, it's a volatile lifestyle. And I think that there's a lot of self-sabotage involved in poker, especially when you get to the highest of highs, um, where... Huge self-sabotage is involved. Yeah, and, you know, money management's your thing. And, like, and like I'm not picking on somebody like Bryn Kinney, right, who buys into a tournament for half his net worth. But you do that enough, disaster will inevitably strike. It's not. Well, Bryn went public. Bryn went public saying, you know, he, he that you know, saying that you know he was struggling a little bit financially nine months ago or whatever. There were rumors that you know he was broke. I so what? I don't. I don't have a problem with that. I think Bryn is an absolutely top player, fantastic player. But, you know, I mean, if he put himself in, a, if, if a player puts themselves in a bind where they have to be able to borrow money or depend on others to play in tournaments, is that player a great player? Bryn Kenny is so. a great player. Yeah, he's a, they're, they're great players. Mm -hmm. But there might be 10 guys exactly with Bryn Skinny's, Kenny's skill level that can't get staked. And so he happens to get staked and win some stuff. I mean, I, there's some very talented players out there that are broke. And... and They'll, they'll get in action, right? Because other poker players recognize the skill and see it as, as investment opportunity. So it's like, yep. it's very hard to stay out of action if you're an amazing poker player who's like personable, easy to deal with, easy to talk right. to. If you're a dick and nobody likes you and you're shooting angles, maybe you don't get staked when you go broke. But the nice guys, the guy. So I think in that sense, they can't, they, they can afford to take more risks, if they, especially if they know that they're back in action. 
Um, that's right. That's, that's to, to Ben Kenny's to Ben Kenny's credit is he knows he can take more risks. Yeah, he, you know, he, he chose, in action he chose a really good time. He chose a really good time to go on his own <laughs> money in August. You know, yeah. and it led to a huge bankroll for him. He definitely chose a good time, but and again, like your net worth is your network, especially in poker. Talk to people, make friends, be cool, and you just you, even if you go broke, you're back in action. But yeah, t- poker tournaments, like you said. Uh, what about the, the high rollers? I mean, like the all-time cash list to me is a little qu- questionable, especially with like the 300Ks. And- it's a joke. The all-time cash list is an absolute joke. I mean, Antonio Esfandiari hadn't won very many tournaments in his life. He wins one tournament for $18 million, and all of a sudden he's you know, the, leading the all-time money list. And uh, you know, what percentage did he have himself in that? I don't know. There's a lot of rumors saying he had a lot less than 20% of himself when he won it. So, but Even now, that's 200 k <laughs> Like, that's still a shitload. Um, say he had 10%. Uh, that's $1.8 But he gets credit for $18 million. Right. You know, we know guys that have won some of these high rollers that have 3% of themselves. There's a one guy. There's some stuff. I don't, go, I don't mention names. But I know of a guy who allegedly had 1.5% of himself or 2% when he won one of these massive tournaments. So now he gets credit for all this money. Yeah. I mean, even even the guys that they think are the great, they think are the greatest in the world because they've been doing well in high rollers. A lot of these guys, you know, will have 20, will have, you know, 40% of themselves, 50%. And for years, they only had 10%. And so plus they're trading with each other. So let's just say you have 56% of yourself as one really famous guy had. And let's just say you traded 5% with six other players. Okay. So effectively you only have 26% of yourself. Right. And so, you know, the all time money list to me is a joke and, and these guys walk around saying, Oh, we're the greatest players. And then they get support from some people like Eric Seidel. You know, I don't know. Eric might've backed off that. How on Daniel McGron, you might've backed off that now, but they're not the greatest players in the world. You have 20 guys that are playing in the high rollers. They're not the greatest and, uh, you know, they're good at being staked. They're good at having 10% of themselves in tournaments. But if you look at those 20 players, three or four or five of them are amongst the top 10 players in the world. So let's not mince words. Let's just say that, you know, of the 20 guys that travel all around the world, three, four or five of them are truly amongst 10 world-class players. So we give them credit. But right now, the way, the way it seems you know, they're, they're considered, oh, these 20 guys are the best in the world. No, they're not. They're not even close. And so that's the way it's viewed because they're out there playing, you know, but a lot of times if we could get down to the truth, if you could see the whole truth, people would be like, wow, but they can't see the whole truth. And so, you know, so I think that uh, the high rollers are probably good for poker. They do make some people's names and some of these people will become great. But the, the high roller list is a freaking joke to me. I mean, I worked my ass off to get to 20 million. If you take the, the if you take the one million dollar buy-in tournament where I cash for 2.8 million off of that list, and and you look at me and I'm at 18 million from 1,500 dollar buy-ins and 5k buy-ins and 10k buy-ins, and you're just like, wow, this is just unreal. I'm supposed to have that lofty perch, you know. Um, and Negranu is one of the guys who's, who's up there with me, you know, who's done it in all the other tournaments, but you know, there's not a lot of us that are up on that list. And so, you know, the list has become a joke. It's untenable and it's not really, it doesn't really represent what it's supposed to represent. 
and I think the card card player player of the year has turned into something else too, especially with like so many points being awarded in in the the high roller events that all, only a few people. It actually becomes like you, like you mentioned earlier, like a cash game where the dude that the people that are really good at raising money to get in get in action in these tournaments ha- have a significant edge in both the all time tournament, the cash list, and the card player player of the year. All right, let's let's move on to lightning round. I know you don't have a ton of time. When you think of joy in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? I mean, I I'll tell you this. I I think I'm a very I think I'm a very joyful person. You know, I'm just having so much fun. I mean, I just think just the last week, I mean, I was at uh I went to the NASCAR championships to support, you know, um Denny Hamlin. You know, I ran into Michael Jordan there, MJ, and had kind of a funny interaction with him. But I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, it's my first NASCAR race. We don't have the right credentials to get into the driver's meetings. They're like, Phil, go right on through. And I arrive and they're like, welcome back. And I'm like, man, I've been to one race like 12 years ago. Welcome back is great. You know, <laughs> They still remember. And I'm just having a ball, you know, and uh, I look around. I see thousands of people. I'm the only one dressed in gold, but most people would be like subconscious. I'm like, yeah, I'm supposed to be dressed in gold. Just having a, a blast. You know, I'm on the, I'm, you know, I'm all the NASCAR legends are coming up to me. It's, you know, Dale Earnhardt Jr. And, and, and all these legends, Tony Stewart, you know, and Tony Stewart's two minutes away from getting into the pace car and he's, he's busy talking to me, you know? And so it just, it just feels like I feel so spoiled. I'm out there just having so much fun in Chicago on Friday. You know, I was uh, last Friday, I was, you know, I was able to sit down with the governor of Illinois for an hour and 40 minutes, JB Pritzker. He's is a great friend of mine. And just to sit there, he can't talk to, there's like three people in the world. He can tell everything to, you know, I'm one of them. And so you know, and, and I'm seeing an event the night before we're picking up 1.3 million in one night for charity. And the night before that, I'm playing a high stakes poker game with Chicago billionaires winning 30,000. So I'm just having so much fun, you know, a second and a third, just jumping around. So I seem to have a ton of joy in my life. <laughs> yeah. I really like what I'm doing. I'm having a lot of fun tonight. I can't wait to go play in, in the cash game after we're done. Um, you know, joy and poker, um, sometimes in poker, I just look like I'm too intense. The camera catches me, you know, going, I'm on with Ace King. This amateur called me with King Jack and hit a Jack on the river. What the fuck? The camera catches me being the poker brat. And, uh, but I have a lot of joy. I mean, I was really having, I have a lot of fun playing in world series of poker tournaments. I have a lot of fun playing in world series of poker Europe. I have a lot of time, a lot of fun playing in world poker tours it was pretty joyous, uh, you know, winning my last bracelet in, you know, 2018. I entered the $5,000 buy-in uh, turbo. And everybody's like, well, Phil cannot possibly do well in a turbo because he's all, this is all math. And uh, I think they've had the 5K turbo four times. I think I have a ninth, a first, and a sixth, despite them saying Phil can't possibly do well in turbo. So that kind of, I like that. I like hearing that kind of encourages me this year I finished sixth in that same turbo had a real shot at a bracelet but but yeah the joy of last year of just picking up that bracelet it was a little bit more unexpected I think uh, because you know the, the levels go up kind of fast and and you know 
I had a lot of chips going in and, you know, I think I had a chance for a great joyful moment because people say, oh, Phil's no good at online poker. And I popped in this online poker tournament for a bracelet and oh, somehow I'm just trying to cash. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we get to a hundred and I'm chip leader. And now they realize I'm chip leader and they start hitting Twitter everywhere. Helmuth, Helmuth. And then they did a live thing. A couple of people did live things of me. And then all of a sudden we got to top 10 and I'm chip leader again. And unfortunately in that one, I think I finished fifth, but that could have been a joyful. I mean, that's cool, man. I'm in my suite at the Aria playing, you know. And <laughs> it's online poker thing's fun. not so bad. Yeah, I mean, so, <laughs> I mean, if you're speaking of joy in poker, I seem to have a lot of joy just in life. And, uh, you know, the other side of that is sometimes an intensity and sometimes I can come off as a little barky at the table. And that's me. Um, I think everybody kind of knows that. And I think, if I ever dress someone down or like wine, then they're then I I they texting people and like Phil wind at me and everybody's like join the club now you're in yeah it's like a rite of passage like, and I'm just like really um, but you know and then of course what they don't catch is I'm always apologizing to people and saying sorry and shaking their hand sorry I lost it but but it's kind of there's a lot of joy there and I, and I'm really I'm really having a lot of fun but I mean my most joyous moments are you know winning world championships. My most joyous poker moments. Poker moments, yeah. It's a good thing that you waited so long to go back to NASCAR. You didn't get booed this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't put me in the uh, – I was not introduced on stage. And <laughs> I, yeah. I think I would have probably been booed, but I don't know. <laughs> um, if you could gift all poker players one book, what would it be and why? I mean I, I, I mean, I guess I'm promoting my own stuff, but I mean I play poker like the pros is the book that I wrote. And it was filled with truth. And it became a New York Times bestseller because it's filled with truth. My book, I think, is the best book for a beginner and a best book for an intermediate player that you can have. And uh, the advanced stuff I didn't touch on quite as much, but I think that it's just filled with basic fundamentals. You want the perfect golf swing? This is it. You want the perfect strategies? These are those. So I'm very part of, proud of Play Poker Like the Pros, and, and I, I just did a very solid job. If I could go back, I might change a couple of things, but not too much. It's very hard to write a poker book. It's very hard to – it's so organic. You know, things change. The game changes and strategies change over time that, like, after 15 years, it's, like, it's really hard for something to stay relevant, especially in a game like poker. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker, what would it be? Wow. Well, I would legalize online poker. If I could change – if I could wave a wand – I would tell my friends to spend $160,000 with the proper committee, you know, back in 2012, because it took about $160,000 to make sure online poker was legal. They didn't know it. I didn't know it. I had heard rumors. What do you mean? Well, I I don't even, I haven't heard this story. Well, I mean, do you know why online poker got, became illegal? I am, I do, I am aware. (laughs) So one guy wanted to run for president. And he was doing a favor for someone else. He didn't even run for president. So they threw it on as a rider. Yeah, Bill The last Bill. So, I mean, like, it's really ridiculous what happened to poker. But you had these committees and subcommittees. Now, normal people, uh, you know, would be normal people protecting businesses are going to be lobbying. Lobbying for their businesses. And, you know, I think Full Tilt liked being kind of the outlaws um, or felt like we have a legal argument to exist. Um, whatever, whatever philosophy or attitude that was, I think party poker dropped the ball because 
they should have been spending $200,000 a year to make sure to keep these laws out of committee. It's not hard. I mean, this, it's exactly what people do in the United States of America. They lobby for what they need. I don't necessarily like the system. It, it, to me, too many things that should be passed aren't, and too many things that shouldn't be passed are because people are spending money lobbying. But we dropped the ball with online poker. So I would love to, online poker cost a lot of us huge salaries and huge upsides, and it may end up leading to some great things, but it also cost millions of people you know, who were who making a living playing online poker. There were a ton of people who were really good, hundreds of thousands, you know, would still be doing well, I think. And sponsorships, magazines, uh, you're talking about UIGEA, that was like 2006 yeah. before, before Black Friday. Yeah, it's definitely... No, I'm talking more about the enforcement, you know, the rider. I, I thought yeah. the rider, the port bill in New Orleans was 2006, and that was when Party oh, Poker man. pulled out of the U.S. No, no, it was much later. Uh, the UIGA, if you look it up, it was probably, uh, I think, 2012, but much later than 06. But you can go ahead and look it up. I mean, you and I, there are there were two bills passed, but the one that was really strong is the one that said, hey, we're going to enforce this stuff. And boom. Black Friday was no fun. Black Friday was no fun. I was yeah. uh, April 15, 2011. If I could change anything, I think it would, it would be great for poker if online poker were legal in the U.S., for sure. And like a lot of magazines went out of business because they lost sponsorship. I mean, a lot of revenue market share went way down. It's really criminal that we play Texas Hold'em and you can't even play online poker in Texas. Like, come on, guys, let's get this shit fixed. What's something people would be surprised you're bad at? Bad at? Huh? I don't think in terms of me being bad at stuff. Let me think. You a good dancer? Well, I, I, I was up for dancing I was up for dancing with the stars, so I had to hire someone <laughs> for eight or nine hours. And yeah. I really learned how to dance. It's not hard. But I spent eight or nine hours working on that. Um, I mean, I think I'm a horrible tennis player. <laughs> um, let's see. I think people would be surprised at how good I am at basketball. I mean, if we didn't – we had the World Series of Poker. There were like five guys that were better than me in the whole poker world when it came to shooting. And so let's see, what am I bad at? I don't know. Pass for the rest of the question. I guess. <laughs> All right. What would your wife th- say that you're, you're not? Oh, I'm bad at, at sports betting a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A little bit. <laughs> that, that came out with too much enthusiasm to be a little bit. I think most people are bad at sports betting. It's not a, it's its own thing. My max bet's generally, my max bet's $1,000 a game. So it's completely irrelevant to my lifestyle. Right. Um, which is lucky. And, and I mean, it's, it's fun, right? You get a sweat, you enjoy the game a little more. I love, I, I really like the NFL. So, you know, for me, it's kind of fun to watch the games. And What's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? I'm talking about doing positivity too, which would be, um, you know, my next book. I haven't started yet, but that's eight. What it would be is eight titans of industries, you know, tips on how to be successful. So Elon Musk and, you know, Sheryl Sandberg and, you know, Jack Dorsey and Shamath Palihapitiya. So, you know, I have to get these folks committed to the book. Um, Some will come and some won't, but that's going to be a really fun book that I think could help a lot of people, you know, the way they think as far as business success goes. I've had a lot of fun. I've joined uh, uh, seven different advisory boards now. 
so I'm having a lot of fun with that. Uh, it's fun to be involved with some cutting edge stuff and, and to be involved with some stuff as simple as, you know, lasso where we're selling, you know, compression socks that, you know, James Harden wears every day unpaid because they're so good. Um, and so, you know, being a part of, you know, um, end game talent agency where the valuation of the company has gone you know, to decamillions quickly, you know, because what are we doing? We're representing esports athletes end game talent agency is, and we're bringing money to them through, you know, all the sponsors that want to get to that demographic. And so there's a bunch more that I could mention and go into, but it's really fun to be valued. You know, I mean, the CEOs, the startup CEOs, they call me and we have long talks about stuff and they really value what I have to say, which is pretty cool because I haven't technically built a company of my own. Um, I've been a part of it. How did you become valuable to them? Like what, like just learning over time? What, what did that process look like? Well, my value, you know, being reasonable goes a long ways, right? Being reasonable and having been there and I've seen companies built from nothing. I've been a part of companies that have built from nothing. So reasonable is a huge, huge, huge part of it. How to deal with high net worth investors. I can help them with that. Um, and then also a huge part of my value comes from the fact that I know, you know, uh, it, it, that, I, that I'm really good friends with Chamath Palihapitiya, with Bill Gurley, with Bill Lee and David Sachs. My friends have these funds, Rick Thompson, Jason Kalkanis. Th- those mentioned, those six names I just mentioned, they have five funds, you know, that are worth billions of dollars. And so, you know, if I like an idea, I can pick up the phone and call any of them and say, hey, let's have a meeting. Can, 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 you, get, can you schedule my company and I in to raise some money? And that's enormously valuable for, you know, early stage companies. Most of the early stage companies aren't even ready for that yet that I'm involved with, but eventually they will be. So, you know, I guess, I guess it's connections. My connections help so much. And then it's been, I didn't necessarily understand that I'd be so valuable just being reasonable and seeing out potential outcomes for companies, but that's been fun for me. And I would say it speaks a lot to you as a human being at all these connections that you've made and all the people that enjoy being around you, regardless of your poker talent or your poker ability, you got to be a cool dude to foster and have these relationships. Um, You have to be either really cool or either really authentic. I haven't discovered which one I am. I'm reasonable (laughs) and authentic. So you could, you could argue that I'm, that I'm not cool, but I'm purely authentic and straight up. And I've done some pretty cool things in my life, but, um, yeah. Well, they got to like you, you know, they, they have to like being around you or spending I am, time, time I am, with you, right? I am super well liked. Everybody, it's, it's amazing. People want to be around me. There's no bullshit. There's no backdoor stuff. I'm not asking my friends for anything either. And, you know, most of these billionaires, they're, they're surrounded by people that want to, that they're asking for something. Absolutely. I never ask for anything. They never ask me for anything. And then your relationship, you know, it's easy to form a, a, a friendship based on, hey, who are you and what are you doing? And, you know, what kind of person are you? Uh, I was friends with a billionaire in Los Angeles and made it a point to never ask for anything because I saw all the people. And I saw it's actually an interesting life that billionaires lead as far as not knowing who to trust and not knowing which relationships are authentic and genuine. And it's it's quite a struggle. I, I mean, my friend, I saw I saw the struggle in his life as far as finding authentic relationships. Um, because it's 
most people have an agenda, right? Uh, right, and you can be authentic to. with him, not ask him for anything, and he can call you and ask you for advice because he's getting unvarnished truth, and that means yeah. something. Right. I have no. I, he can call you to hang out with him, come over to his house and do stuff with him, or be on the jet with him because you're not asking for anything. Right. It just made it. Yeah, it, it was a super insight having that relationship and seeing all the inner workings and like, oh, when people say that happiness, that money doesn't buy happiness. Yeah, they're right. <laughs> like people, some people have all the money in the world and, and no authentic, genuine relationships, and, and it's it's tough. I mean, I hate I hate talking billionaire problems, but like it's really it it really is right. Final question, Phil, and I'll let you go. Crush some billionaires in a cash game. Uh, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? Yeah, I mean, philhelmuth.com is a good place. You know, another another fun one for me is I've, I'm involved in starting an, a new clothing line called Poker Brats with a Z on it, Poker Brats, and we're doing some really cool stuff. But I mean, socks and underwear and T-shirts, and it's just like if you like casinos, I mean, I, I, some of our stuff fits well. So that's a fun one for me, pokerbrat.com, um, you know, and uh, I'll be I'll be filming uh, you know, on the Poker Go app. I'm on the Poker Go app all the time. I'll be filming December 10th, 11th, 12th, and 13th, a 500 and 1,000 game. Right now, I have 100% of myself. I might sell 50 to my to my friends, but it's going to be 500 and 1,000 four days in a row. Um, and then Holidays with Helmuth is also on the Poker Go app on December 19th, which is live. And so, That's you know, big, I mean, I think, I, think, I think I was meant to help a lot of people on the planet. And I think my book, Hashtag Positivity, which you can only buy at amazon.com. I think I'm going to sell a million copies of that. It's been slow, but I think I'm going to sell a million copies of that. And I'm going to help tons of people with eight simple life tips. So, I mean, I think, you know, I would encourage anybody listening to this to go buy my book positivity. You can probably get it for $13 or $12 on Amazon. And I think it will change your life. Don't tell Phil, but you can actually get it for free uh, on Kindle unlimited on Amazon. If you, if you check it out and it, it's like under an hour read. It's very seventy quick, minutes, quick to the point. Yep, I, I read it today. Actually, it's uh, it's, it's a good read, a lot of wisdom. And Phil, I don't what know. What was your I, favorite chapter today? The one on anger uh, or hatred. And Forgiveness. For, yeah, that was that, that was one's one, called one that, hate like, hurts you. Hate hurts you. Yeah, the one that that was the one that struck struck home to me the most. Your story about. Um, being taken advantage of and not going public and, you know, following the line of all the good things that came from that, from you not going ballistic and going public with it all. I thought that was a very good message yeah, that's, and it resonated. Someone, someone stole 28,000 from me and, uh, and I decided not to go public could have ruined them. Very famous player could have ruined them. I decided not to go public decided to forgive them because I, I was so angry at that person. I just didn't want to be angry anymore. And the way that happened on a Monday and a way on Friday, I flew to, you know, to the East Coast, to Foxwoods and saw that person, shook their hand. It didn't feel great shaking that person's hand. And the way it led to exactly a third place for 280000 You can't make that up. And if I had gone public, I would have just answered questions the whole time about this famous player and how they stole from me. And instead it was just completely buried, sealed off. And, uh, and I was able to focus on poker. I won 280,000, which was like, wow, exactly 10 times. I felt like I was being rewarded 
And then that guy ended up paying me back the money anyway and ended up protecting me. Like he's, he's my biggest defender. I let him off the hook. And so yeah, I think, yeah, so the whole point is forgiving people, not for them. They might be the worst person ever. You forgive people for you. So the name of that chapter is called Hate Hurts You. It's one of my favorite chapters too. I believe it's, uh, there's a quote, resentment is like taking poison at night and waiting for the other person to die. Because, you know, for mindset wise, you're, if you if you go public, you're ruminating on it, you're thinking about it, it just goes on over and over, you relive it over and over. And like you said, you you would not have done well in that tournament. I can say with with confidence, mindset would not have been there. It just so yeah, that 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 struck struck home with me and makes me want to do do a little better with forgiveness and letting things go. Yeah, that chapter teaches people to forgive everybody in their lives. Phil, I don't know if I'm going to wear your poker brats underwear, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been delightful, awesome having you on the show. I really appreciate your time and energy. And uh, come back on again in a few years. We'll catch up, see how you've been doing, how many more bracelets you have. Have a great, great night, my man. That was fun. I really enjoyed it. You asked some good questions. I like the vibe. Good luck. Thanks, Phil. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please take a moment to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. And once again, I wanted to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're on the lookout for a new poker platform where the games are safe and secure and the action's amazing, head to EnhanceYourEdge.com slash Pod to get your code and jump into the games. You must have a code to play as well as be 21 years of age or older. One final time, that's EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time on Chasing Poker Greatness.